0: Chimera would then be just a little step lower. It would be a heavenly a heavenly parent and then a, an earthly animal parent. And so then they create, you know, however they do it, I don't know if it's genetic modification or I have no idea what it is, but, and I also don't know if they're real. And that's why I'm like, I think it's probable that they were, but you know we have no archeological evidence for it. But if they were, then minotaurs, centaurs, sirens, Lilith, vampire, the kind of things, I mean, all that's all that's within the realm of possibility, in the realm of possibility, in the realm of possibility.
1: Hey, welcome to blurry creatures. We've got a great show for you today. Real quick, if you've been with us since the beginning and you like what we're doing on this show, please go give us a review on iTunes. Those are super helpful. Luke and I are trying to get to 500 reviews by Christmas. That's right. We're going to try to get to 500 reviews by Christmas. The show's growing. You guys have been sharing this around on social media. And uh, if you like what we're doing, we really need your support. There are a million podcasts in 2020. And as you know, a lot of people don't put a lot of time and effort into those podcasts. But we edit these, we put music to them, we cut out the fluff, we try to package it in a great way to make it you know, an enjoyable listening experience. If you know an hour and a half sometimes can go by on this podcast and you're like, man, that was a great episode. That's because we put a lot of work into it and try to clean it up. So all that takes a lot of work. And if you like what you're hearing, what we need from you is a few things. A review on iTunes is great. And maybe text an episode to a friend or share this podcast on social media. That literally gets this thing going, bring on more guests, and just grows it. So we appreciate you guys listening to this. And the fact that you give us an hour a week is just huge. And uh, Luke and I are super thankful for that. So with that, we appreciate you guys. And uh, on with the show. All right, so let's welcome Doug Van Doren to the show. Doug, you're an author from Colorado, a mountain man, a hiker. Um, You've written several books, but today I think we're going to talk mainly about one of the books you wrote uh, called Giants, Sons of the Gods. Um, One thing we ask all our guests right from the get-go, there's no wrong answer. What are your thoughts about Bigfoot? What what do you think Bigfoot is, or do you have any thoughts on Bigfoot?
0: Yeah, we're kind of in sort of Bigfoot country here. He's been spotted down in the Alamosa area, down in... uh kind of south of south park if you ever watched that cartoon Mm -hmm. i think you know this. stories are that like he uh disappears and reappears it's almost like demonic sort of stuff so if i had to put my guess on it i would say it was some sort of supernatural demon thing we can get in we talk about demons all you want later on in terms of what they are and stuff but uh that would be my guess i think it probably is real i mean you just have too many too many hundreds and thousands and thousands of sightings all over the place. So,
2: but we've had—I mean, we've had a a wide variety of guests on here. That it's It's inter- just interesting the way that that I can, I can get persuaded back and forth. But I think I really do have to go with what you were saying, Doug. At this point, in the, in our journey, that there's too much weird stuff that happens around Bigfoot. Whether people it be you know quote UFO stuff or you know footprints and and then he just dis- and then it disappears or I mean, Nate, I was watching the uh, Van- uh, Vanished last night, you know, the original series with about the missing people and it was it was eerie to listen to that. I'm talking the same thing about footprints people that would ju- that just disappear. And there's something really strange about all these people seeing something similar and yet we don't we don't have anything but blurry photos and blurry creatures. <laughs>
1: Look at that! Look at that segue.
2: Work that one in.
1: (laughs) So, Doug, you wrote a book about giants. How do you? I mean, how? When did you kind of come into to understand this was a pinnacle part of the Bible and uh, something you wanted to write a book about?
0: All right. So it goes back probably ten or more years ago now, and in some ways, it goes back a lot farther. Because as a pastor, I get people asking me questions all the time, and one of the big ones is always, "What does Genesis six one through four mean?"
1: So people ask you that
0: oh yeah all the time and uh you know my i just kind of had a standard protestant reformed answer that it's the sons of seth and the daughters of cain and they marry and they have kids and and i didn't really look much deeper into it i just thought that made a lot of sense so i wasn't really even looking to go into this i mean i've always had a weird fascination with uh, conspiracy theories i wrote a book on that too just recently i guess what happened was i was preaching on Uh, the book of Exodus and the way I do my research is I go online and I try and look for journal articles, stuff like that. And, uh, came across something that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. And, uh, but it was totally fascinating. And it was on, uh, it was on a textual variant in Deuteronomy 32, uh, seven through eight. And the textual variant says the sons of God and the, um, the Hebrew text says the sons of Israel. So the idea is that it says, uh, you know, remember back long ago, your fathers would tell you when the sons of God were given up, and uh, according, was it say the nations were divided according to the number of the sons of God. This paper was like 25-page paper on this little textual variant. And I read it first; I was just interested in it, and I thought, wow, it's really interesting. But it, you know, I had nothing to do with, nothing to know what to do with it. So just put it away, and I was preaching like six weeks later on something else in Exodus and along comes something that reminded me of this paper. And I'm like, it couldn't, it couldn't possibly be the same guy. So I looked up the old paper and same exact guy. The guy's name is Michael Heiser. He was a academic editor at Logos Bible software for a long time. And just moved down to Jacksonville to kind of start a a university uh, through a, through a mega church down there. So I had never heard of this guy and I knew nobody that had ever heard of him. So this was, I mean, this is 10, 12 years ago. Came to find out really quickly that he had a web page and that he was writing a book, that he had done a whole bunch of guest appearances on coast to coast, which that totally intrigued me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, back in the day with Art Bell, even. So I started reading this book that he was offering for free that he wanted feedback on from all his kind of people that were following on him online. And that's where I started learning about the giant thing was from this free book. That book ended up becoming his bestseller, The Unseen Realm.
1: Yeah. But yeah. this
0: was like a prototype of it. And so in that book, it talked about all kinds of things that I never heard about. Uh, sons of God being these heavenly beings, Nephilim being these giants. And then he kind of he kind of did a little biblical theology on it, but not a really big one. And so like, I had nobody to talk to about it, right? The only way that I could figure out how I could start making sense of it was to start writing. And so I kind of wrote a whole book on a lot of the themes that were already in his book. And I never did anything with it because I thought it was too close to what he was doing. But I was just doing that to help me think through it. And then I thought, you know, the giant part of this, I think there's a lot more that can be said than what he's said in this book, because that wasn't the main focus of his book. So... And then I thought, well, if I did this right, I think I could actually ma- sell a couple of copies of this one. So <laughs> that's kind of how it turned into a book was just my own, my own need to understand what was going on. Because I, I recognized right away, that this is not a minor theme. It's a really important thing uh, in scripture. I mean, this, is a, this is a major storyline that had been lost for, I don't know, probably 1500 years in, in the church, maybe a little bit longer than that even.
2: And why, why do you why do you think why do you think it's been lost? Well, what's your theory there? Is it is it too fantastical or is it a uh, in
0: some ways? But I, so I think there's a couple things going on. Like this kind of opens the door to something that's not really about. I mean, it kind of is about giants, but it kind of isn't. There's a book that Mike talks about called Two Powers in Heaven." It was written by a Jewish uh, scholar back in 1977, and this book talks about how the Jews prior to Jesus coming there was a debate among them about whether or not, to put it in kind of Christian terms, whether or not there was a Trinity in the Old Testament. And they were they were arguing about what they call the second power in heaven. And some of the rabbis were saying that there are two Yahwehs in the Old Testament, but there's only one God. So into this comes Jesus' incarnation and his his ministry. And he starts arguing with these Pharisees all the time about how he's this divine figure. Some of them would call the second power in heaven. Hmm. And they hated this. Like, This made them really mad. In fact, this ends up being the thing that gets Jesus killed because when he's put on trial, Caiaphas says, "Tell us if you're the Son of God," and he goes, "You've already said so." And then he puts him under oath. And Jesus says, "I swear to you that uh, you know you won't see me again until uh, you see the Son of Man coming on riding on the clouds of heaven." So that's a reference to Daniel seven, where the the, the, the cloud rider comes to the Ancient of Days and he's given this eternal kingdom. In fact, I'm preaching it this week, so it's kind of right in my head. <laughs> so the, immediately Caiaphas yells, Blasphemy! Why would you yell blasphemy, right? Like that's a, that means that you're equating yourself with God. So yeah. that's a two powers text. There's the Ancient of Days, who's the father, there's the Son of Man, who's the, not the father, but he seems to be God himself. So they're arguing about this. Long comes like John's gospel. He writes his gospel. And um, a lot of people think that the beginning of that gospel is kind of a polemic or apologetic against Gnosticism. So this idea that Jesus is uh, the word made flesh and flesh is this evil thing in the Gnostic world because it's the physical realm. And the only thing that's good in their worldview is the spiritual realm. In fact, John's not doing that at all. He's actually writing to Jews, and he's using their Old Testament to explain to them who Jesus is. So when it talks about, for example, first verse, Jesus is the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. That goes back to Old Testament passages. Like a good one is Genesis 15, 1, where Abraham uh, sees the Word. (laughs) The Word speaks to him. It's a really weird passage that people don't notice. That's Old Testament language to call Uh, this second person the word he uses another word a couple more like the word uh name he jesus is the name of god and then he's the glory of god these are all old testament words that are being used to talk about him
1: our last guest mentioned this i think ron kind of brought this up um that the word elohim is plural in the old testament is that kind of like a little bit what you're talking about
0: uh no i think that's a separate issue. elohim is just a word that is like the word sheep So if I just had the word sheep, how many do I have? And the answer is, you don't have any idea. I have to tell you in a sentence. So Elohim can be one or it can be many. Uh, So, you know, the sons of God would be Elohim. It would be gods in the Old Testament uh, in Hebrew. So John's gospel being written to Jews, and it's explaining that Jesus is this second power in heaven who's come to earth to die for our sins. Well, the Jews hate it. They want to kill him. They can't do anything to stop him. He rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. Christianity takes off like wildfire, and Jews are, are converting to Christianity like crazy in the first four decades after uh, the resurrection. So along comes the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and now Judaism is thrown into chaos. Like The Jews kind of lose their home. They lose the ability to worship God in their temple. They just have to start writing down all their oral tradition because they're afraid they're going to lose it. Into this is what this book, Two Powers in Heaven, by this Jewish scholar says, that the rabbis made it a heresy forever to believe that there's two powers in heaven. In other words, they turned Judaism from a kind of a binitarian or trinitarian thing into a unitarian thing forever. It's been that way to this day. So, that's what happens in Judaism, and what they had to do then was start tampering with a few passages like Deuteronomy 32, eight, where it says the sons of God, because that's the kind of stuff that gets right into this worldview. Like Jesus is claiming, I'm the son of God. Well, what does that mean to them? Well, it means, it means he's a heavenly being, but it means more than that because they knew that there was one heavenly being that was unlike all the rest. Okay so that's the Jewish side, then the Christian side, you know Jews convert less and less and less to Christianity after that because they lose the worldview to be able to do it like to a Jew, you say Jesus is God that's doesn't even make sense now because there's only mm-hmm. one God and he's in heaven and there's not there's not two persons, so you know that doesn't make sense so less less Jews are converting, more Gentiles are converting, Christianity becomes much more Greek much more much less uh Hebrew and you, go, you have to go along uh, a good ways for this to happen. So this happens with Judaism, early 2nd century, and it doesn't really take root in the church until Augustine and Chrysostom at about the end of the 5th century. So they, they're the guys who end up saying that this giant worldview of Genesis 6 is insane, crazy, I couldn't believe it, it's ridiculous, uh, wild myths of the Jews, like they say, all this kind of stuff but they never give any reasons why. And so one other thing happened, I think right before that time is that the book of Enoch, which was everybody was reading this book, first Enoch uh, in the days of the New Testament, you know, Jude quotes from it. Uh, Second Peter does. First Peter alludes to it. So they're all reading this book, but it had been lost for some reason, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe 100 years before that or whatever. And then so that's an important book because it kind of tells the story of the giant worldview of Genesis 6. So we
1: didn't actually refine that book until like the late 1700s. You make it sound like what we really believe as a church nowadays is what Luther. Augustine, Calvin, all those guys got us on a different tangent that said, "Oh, this angel procreation theory is crazy. The giants didn't exist." Like, is that kind of what you're you're, you're alluding to?
0: Yeah, I mean, Luther and Calvin are uh, 800 years or whatever after Augustine, so they're just kind of inheriting the tradition that had been given to them from Augustine and Chrysostom. Hmm. Yeah, But yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And, and so they didn't have this extra biblical literature to go back and read and test and stuff. So I, I mean, I can't blame them in one way, but at the same time, for all four of those guys, this is like really not something that they usually do. Like they're, they're usually pretty good in terms of explaining the text and why it means this and whatever. But when it comes to this, they're like, this is just stupid. Nobody should have anything to do with it. Like that's <laughs> uh-huh. their argument.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You talk about Heiser's book inspiring you to write your book of the giants what are some things in your book about the giants and some details about the giants that maybe other books don't go into detail about can you give us a little uh, uh view into the world of the giants and give us some details about some things that you don't hear a lot of other people talking about that you think that you've that you discovered
0: yeah so i wanted to write the book i knew that there was other giant books are already out there uh, by like steve quayle and some of these guys and uh, i kind of found them pretty sensational and uh, their their focus is really on the second coming like are the nephilim going to return there's a bunch of books about that now right, especially like the days of noah stuff right yeah, yeah yeah so i wanted to totally stay away from that and i wanted to only focus on the new, on the first coming because i believe that that's like that's what we have that's on solid footing whether they come back in the future or not i have no idea um but like these guys really do matter to the first coming and what happens so my book is really a biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation on the giants that ends with with Jesus in you know when he's like confronting the demons throughout his his ministry like that's directly into this worldview because the the church fathers all all believe that the demon the origin of a demon a New Testament demon is that they're the disembodied spirits of yeah, a giant.
1: We talked a lot about that today. Yeah. With with Jud. Yeah. So. So you think, but I mean, the original giants, how big are they? Do you have any sense of that? The original Nephilim were, we were talking a little bit about that <laughs> on previous episodes. of we, We've been, and on our podcast, we've been talking about kind of the last thousand years or so. Some of the remnants of the giants that were here in North America, um, some of the mounds, some of the elongated skulls. But yeah. I, I'm trying to get an idea of like the Antiluvian world. Like what was it really like in the original days of Noah? Like how big were these things, and um, how evil was it? Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. I was in Israel
0: last summer, uh, filming a for a show on this topic, and the guy brought in two different uh, Jewish kind of scholars, experts. One was a Jewish Kabbalist guy, and the other one was an archaeologist. So we're we're at the first site, which is the town of Goliath, Gath. Yeah, and this this guy's like. It was really funny. He goes, we have no reason to believe that these giants were any bigger than six feet tall. And I'm just like, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Then we come to this other guy at the end of the trip and he starts talking about, oh, the giants, man, they were like 2000 feet tall (laughs) (laughs) and he's dead serious. I mean, dead serious. And he goes, he goes, in fact, Og, the king of Bashan, he lived before the flood. He gives that whole storyline of, of Og made it through the flood on, on Noah's Ark. He hitched a ride on Noah's Ark and stuff. And he goes, uh, Moses ended up killing him. And the way he did it was Moses himself was 12 feet tall, 12 to 15 feet tall. And he goes, Moses had to jump as high as he could with a spear just to clip Og's Achilles heel. And that's how he killed him. <laughs> oh my God. Too many comic
1: books, right? Yeah.
0: That's like a, you know, that's Jewish folklore and stuff. So like, I'm, I'm pretty conservative on this question. I kind of go with the, uh, with what we know from the mounds of the ant you know the post-diluvian world and i would say that in my mind you know we're on really solid footing up to 12 feet probably 8 to 12 feet is about what we find for those guys i'm willing to entertain ideas that are bigger like maybe up to 20 there's a little bit of reason to think that that's possible although i don't think it's it's not real good reason you know above that i think it's 100 percent speculation
1: what are some other creatures kind of roaming around with the giants that that you think are also kind of on the earth at that time?
0: So I'm not sure what to do with this whole thing, like the idea of a chimera. Yeah. But the Bible talks a lot about chimeras that people don't even know about. And they put it in the context of demons, which is interesting. If a giant is a disembodied demon, the idea behind that is that it's one parent is from heaven, the air, another, or well, heaven, and then the other parents from earth. And so what's its spirit? Where does it belong to? Well, it belongs to the middle realm, to the air. And so when they die, they, haunt, they, they, they don't know where to go. So they haunt the air and that becomes the demon. So that would be because it's a hybrid. So a chimera would then be a, just a little step lower. It would be a heavenly, a heavenly parent and then a, an earthly animal parent. And so then they create, you know, however they do it. I don't know if the genetic modification or I have no idea what it is, but and I also don't know if they're real, and that's why I'm like, I think it's probable that they were, but you know, we have no archaeological evidence for it. But if they were, then minotaurs, centaurs, uh, sirens, Lilith, vampire, the kind of things—I mean, all that's all that's within the realm of possibility.
2: Yeah, we had Jud. T- Jud loves to talk about the chimera. He, we were <laughs> we kind of dove deep yeah. into that. So it, we were talking about yeah. giants, and you talk about it, Genesis six and, and and them showing up. Like, can you give us like a high level view of of your thoughts of like, it seems from me and Nate's conversations in the space, it's been, it really does put a different perspective onto the biblical narrative. And and in a lot of ways to me, it makes, it makes things make way more sense when you go from like, you know, the whole thing, Nate and I've talked about a bunch is a lot of postmodern Christians seem to be like, well, you know, how do you, how do you love, or how do you trust, or how do you serve a, you know, a genocidal God, right. Who told these people it was cool to wipe wipe out all these tribes and people groups and all that. But the whole thing changes when you're like, well, these are actually not even people. These are hybrid beings.
0: Yeah, so um, kind of to me, the, the key verse is the uh, Genesis 3.15, which they call the proto-gospel. Kind of the first time that the gospel is spoken where the, there's two seeds that are going to be warring and the seed of the serpent is going to fight the seed of the woman and he's going to bruise the heel and the other one's going to bruise the head. Like that's the, if, you, if there's a thesis statement of the whole Bible, that's the thesis statement. So I tell people that the, the, this topic is like, it's like you don't lose anything of what you believe before, but what you're doing is you're adding a whole new dimension. Like you're not hmm. losing anything about the natural dimension, what things that have gone on down here that I think we've, we've done a pretty good t- job of talking about, but you're adding, you're, you're at least doubling your worldview because <laughs> right. you're talking about all these supernatural things. Yeah. So that seed verse ends up becoming uh really important to the Genesis 6 story, because these are the seed of the sons of God. And that seed is fighting against this uh, seed of the woman. My, my thought before the flood is that the idea was to genetically destroy humanity so that we wouldn't be pure anymore, because they knew there was going to be a coming seed from the man, from the woman. that would be a human that would somehow destroy Satan. So if you can genetically destroy human beings, then you don't have to worry about that anymore. There's no bloodline. Right. 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 And that's where, yeah, so that's where the Noah thing, where he's perfect in his generations comes through. It's not talking about moral perfection. It's talking about physically human. He's not tainted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Jed brought up something about the this whole space, that even the watchers, when they were looking at what the, what was going on, even they were a little bit scared. So it sounds like this whole world going on, the days of Noah, were pretty dark. Pretty pretty crazy. And one thing we talk a lot about on our, on our podcast is creatures trying to make sense of uh, people still see Mothman, Dogman, Bigfoot, mm. yep. and 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 we're so we're going all the way back to the beginning. And I think a lot of people are reluctant to talk about the Bible and spirituality when they're talking about these creatures. And it's weird. It's almost like the the there's some connection there between the creatures that people still see today and these disembodied spirits. Yeah, I think that's
0: a great point, Nate. Yeah, you get this with, uh, I think, with probably all the chimeras that you find in Scripture, too. Just people still kind of see them, and wherever they're seeing them in dreams or visions or, or as they're walking in a forest or they're hallucinating on LSD or something, like, they're there, and what yeah. are they? If they're demonic entities, clearly Isaiah and Revelation talk about these things as demonic entities. That's not even debatable in my mind.
1: It's weird though, cause like there's stories of Bigfoot like helping people.
0: Okay, so here, this is an interesting thing. So if you go back and look at the, at how the Greeks talk about the word demon, it's not bad and it's not good. It's very neutral term. So hmm. what they thought were that demons could be, you could use a demon and you could use it for good things. But you have to be really careful how you're, how you're dealing with these creatures because they can't be trusted. So, you know, go back to a demigod like Hercules or something like that. He's, he's a Nephilim. He's doing all kinds of good things uh, and bad things. I mean, just kind of way you expect in life. I think what's going on in the New Testament, in the way that it talks about demons as totally evil, is that it's putting it into perspective from God's point of view of what this kind of a creature is, it's an abomination. It's not what he made. It's what somebody else made. So they're, they're they're destroying his creation, and then they're they you know they they don't have his ways in mind. So even if lots of non Christians do all kinds of incredibly nice things, that's not the issue that the New Testament's worried about. Is them doing nice things?
2: Hmm. Interesting. What about so talk a little bit too about little little G gods, right? So there's so much mythology you know, in, in the ancient world, the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, all this stuff lines up and even interestingly enough, in the biblical worldview, it's like the first commandment is thou shalt not have any other gods before me, right? Yeah. So how do that obviously plays into the giant thing? can you connect all these dots because I, I think people tend to look at that stuff as mythology and this and that, but when you talk when you were referencing earlier, one of the things that we talked about in a few episodes back was the idea that things were divided up, right, amongst these in the book of Enoch talks about how the the world was divided up with these little G gods having dominion um, and these things then morphed into you know what i guess a lot of people in history channel they call ancient aliens and all that different stuff the idea that there's these heavenly beings you know, most likely were the fallen angels the watchers as far as we've I mean, what you find in the ancient world is the, a lot of people have the same, you know, the fl- same flood epic story, oh, yeah. or the same this. Oh yeah. And it ends up being not just a bunch of you know made up people decide to worship a you know a cow or or, or whatever, yeah. but it has a lot to do with real real stuff that happened.
0: Here's a quote for you. This is from uh, the famous apologist in the last century, Francis Schaeffer. He says, uh, "More and more, we're finding that mythology in general, though greatly contorted." very often has some historic base and the interesting thing is that one myth that one finds over and over again is that somewhere a long time ago supernatural beings had sexual intercourse with natural women and produced a special breed of people Francis Schaeffer is not, a, he's not into that kind of stuff. Like, right. and so to read that from him is pretty, I think it's pretty good. So I, I I've totally changed my view on mythology because of him and because of CS Lewis and Tolkien, these guys, especially Tolkien. I mean, that's, that's what he lived in. It was that world. And they all kind of have material talking about exactly what you just said, Luke, that, that, uh, mythology is rooted in some kind of history. So, my take on what mythology is, is it's generally speaking, it's like origin stories, creation stories, how, how, we, how we came to be, uh, how this people came to be, and you want to put it in a vehicle that can tr- travel through time and be timeless. How do you do that? Well, some, whoever, they were genius to do it, they created these mythologies and these stories that transcend time, that we're still talking about Greek stories to this day. You know, we've totally changed it. We've naturalized everything. And you hear the psychologists say, Oh, these were, you know, stories that were meant to give you your ego and your id and your personal persona, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, just it narcissism, you know, we have like, <laughs> America is like the one of the most narcissistic cultures there is, you know, and we're all we're all celebrities now on our iPhones. And it's interesting. And 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 this really gets into conspiratorial stuff can you talk about that? Cause that's people, people love their words. They call you conspiracy theorists, They call you anti-science. They call you pseudoscience. They call you uh heret, heretical. They just throw these words out and then they don't have to look at any of the information. And that's frustrating. I know that I'm kind of mm-hmm. moving past that. Like I know yeah. they're never, I'm never going to get some of my friends to see this. And I'm just kind of like accepting that and moving on. I think those who want to hear this, you can hear it. Here's yep. what and if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. So what, could you talk a little about that? Like, some of the conspiracy stuff and what you're up against. That's funny. I I wrote a
0: little, uh, post on my Facebook today. I said, a lot of people think that if you can't see it, taste it, touch it, put it in a test tube, that it doesn't exist. Religious lunatics. So it's like the way atheists treat the Bible. In other words, they treat the Bible like it's a conspiracy theory. And then I said, a lot of people think that if they aren't seeing it covered by the mainstream media, it isn't happening. It isn't real. Conspiracy theory. It's the same thing. Like, like it's just where where i get my information from that's the ultimate source and nothing else outside of it could po- ever possibly challenge what i think about anything
2: that's, that's and, 2020 you know, in a, in a nutshell okay. it's, it's, exactly yeah <laughs> so giants back to the giants for a second though but flood comes supposed to wipe uh-huh. out the ne- the nephilim and then we have the rephaim or the risen one like what's your theories on how on how giants did giants survive or did or did, did we have an, another a incursion of these angelic beings you know hybridizing with human with humans again so first of all you use the word refaim that's a good word uh that word means the healing
0: ones comes from the word "Rafa." now you just we were just talking a minute ago about you know bigfoot saving people from lakes or whatever and now these guys here they're called the healers
2: hmm. isn't
0: that interesting it is weird yeah. so you don't get the sense that they're all completely evil in every possible sense in fact i think that uh God held out salvation to them, to be honest, through Moses. If you would let my people go, I'm not going to destroy you. That's a, that's
1: a very gracious offer for him but to it, do that. Doesn't it say that in the book of the giants, though, that, that they went to Enoch and try to get Enoch to intercede for them? Yeah, I think so. It's been a while since I read that passage,
0: but uh, my thought is, like, I'm not dogmatic on this, but I kind of look at what are the options for how they survived the flood. You have the, you have the Jewish fable option, which is that uh, Og hitched a ride on the ark. Like, I'm pretty sure that that one didn't happen. It's like Marty, <laughs> it's like, like Marty McFly in the beginning of the, <laughs> Back to the Future, right? Like, uh, no, it didn't happen. You have, the, uh, you have the DNA option that uh, somebody on the ark carried the genetic material. Uh, so maybe like Ham's wife or something like that. Like, I think that's a logical possibility, but it kind of ruins the point of God um, destroying the whole earth because of this. You have the option of uh, it wasn't a universal flood, and some of them made it through the... Through the flood there's actually tons of jews talk about that and i think there's probably a couple church fathers that talk about that as well Hmm. so that's that's a that's an option i know Heiser takes that option to me that one doesn't make sense i can't make sense of how it says that god destroyed the whole earth and what's the point of bringing all the animals on the ark if that's the way it was yeah yeah i don't get that so i don't go with those i guess a fourth option would be that uh so in enoch the original watchers are locked away in tartarus and they mm-hmm. can't get out. They're done. And so then God makes this promise, never again will I flood the earth. It makes at least some sense to me that there was some guys up there who said, all right, he swore he's not going to do that again. Why don't we see what happens if, if we come down and do it again? That kind of leads to kind of a fifth, but not really a fifth thing, which is that the Tower of Babel might have had something very seriously to do with this, because it's hard, it talks about Nimrod. Um, I think this is the Septuagint. Uh, it says that he began to become a gibberim he began to become a giant like what does that mean so you have this maybe they are maybe maybe somebody was messing with dna i think a more reasonable thing is probably just or at least conservative is that uh, these guys were trying to recreate what was going on before the flood that's what the tower babel is all about it's a big ziggurat to try and uh, communicate with these guys hmm. and if they did that if they instigate if we instigated it Okay, then I can see another batch of watchers coming down and and
1: doing the same thing.
0: That's what I tend to think.
1: I'm just seeing the bad Kevin Costner movie with everyone on their ships like Waterworld, you know, just like <laughs> a, a really expensive bad. Co-
2: here come the smokers. Yeah.
1: Here, co- yeah, here come the smokers <laughs> to the, the tribe of giants on their homemade boat. What about I mean, the Bigfoot's associated going underground, the trolls in the deep. Uh, what if? could they go down in caverns, lock themselves underground and survive the flood that way? Mm, baby, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question, actually. I'm just thinking about how there's like
0: trogdolites. There's, the, I think they get, I think they're the Horites. So if you go to Genesis 14, uh, that's the Abrahamic wars against the giants that almost nobody knows about. There's <laughs> a whole, whole, whole group of wars about, uh, there's giants fighting. It's it. wild. It's like Lord of the Rings. I mean, think about like, it totally it's, is. It's, crazy. It's, a cr- it's a great little like 10 verses, yeah. beginning of that chapter. And one of them are called the, basically, their, the word translates into the cave dwellers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I often think, I often, I often think of like uh, Beowulf uh, right. living in the cave, or um, I think because these guys actually probably lived in the area of Petra, and you know the caves in the you've seen Indiana Jones and the yeah. Lost Crusade, and that's that's Petra made famous, and and there's all kinds of these cave sort of things going on in there, and you go to over to Turkey and some of these crazy subterranean cave chambers that. The Christians used to hide out, you know, yeah. from persecution yeah. in. Like, where'd those things come from? Right. So, and then, you know, you could go even farther if you wanted to go into hollow earth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but, it gets really uh,
0: weird. But yeah, I, it gets really weird. So, I think it's actually, it's, I suppose it's a possibility. That would be kind of a different take on the, they survived the flood thing, wouldn't it?
1: Well, the, there's just so many reports of Sasquatch going underground, taking people underground. Um, yeah. Pe- people coming in, and it, especially if someone gets abducted they have there's been several accounts where like the green berets and the military come in to try to find somebody and they 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 search the lands and there's always these rocks associated with disappearances of people in the state and local parks to this day so there's a lot of people say that they they like to be around these rocky areas where they can go down and deep into the ground you guys heard
0: these uh, afghanistan stories there's two different ones i have not
1: the giants of kandahar
0: yeah So that's what do you think about
1: that? Is legit?
0: I think it's interesting. Like, I part of me says it's Steve Quayle and he's a sensationalist. And every time I listen to him, (laughs) he never tells you his sources. Well, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, And I'm like, that bothers me.
1: But the story itself
0: is really interesting.
1: bunch of military guys like supposedly shot a giant coming out of a cave in Afghanistan, and then
0: yeah, they found. I think he
1: took one out, right? Took one of the Uh, soldiers. Oh yeah oh yeah like this is this is big time giant this is like
0: 15 20 foot sort of guy <laughs> I, gotta look th- I gotta look this people up. people still
1: see mountain giants in in like canada and other parts around to this day they'll be out and they'll, they're different than sasquatch they're wearing clothes they're carrying clubs people mm. still there's people still say they see these things um like the Kandahar giants but they're, they're very rare it sounds like but this yeah, sounds like yeah. they come from out out of the ground still so yeah, that's why yeah. i'm thinking maybe that's how they survived the flood the ones that just got privy to this hey the the world's gonna flood get get underground take shelter and then some of them came out because the dinosaurs didn't make it all the other animals didn't make it yep. and maybe some of them did and that's why they were there before and after i don't know that seems the most plausible to me besides. that's a really interesting idea i'll have to think more about that one
2: aside from all that doug do you, what was the demise uh chronologically speaking when it came when it came to these giants? Like if they were around and they and they had this, you know, the Rephaeem were around, I mean they're not walking around right now. You know, you've got big people, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and maybe George MiraSon, Sean Bradley, and these big these big tall tall guys, but not giants like uh There's only one I've ever seen that I
0: think is possibly literally a Rephaeim. Oh yeah? It's a- Andre. Andre, Andre. <laughs> You Andre. want to know why I say that? I'll oh. t- so, I say, here's why I say that. First of all, the dude looks like nobody else ever. He does, ever. I, yeah. Look at the guy. Watch him put his hands around Hulk Hogan's neck. Hulk Hogan's like 6'10, and he makes Hulk Hogan look like a midget. You ever it seen does. him hold a beer Thanks. in his hand? It's oh, a toy, yeah. It looks oh, like yeah. A little kid toy. So, I say that because a uh, weird way to answer your question, but the demise of the Giants, I think, takes place because everywhere they went, everybody tried to kill them because they were that bad. So this is what happens in the days of Joshua and Moses. That And Joshua doesn't destroy them all. The text is very clear about that. And it tells you that some were left in three cities. And one of those happens to be the city where Goliath comes from. And it's telling you that so that you can be prepared for that story with, with those giants. But they didn't all die. Some of them fled. And it seems to be, you can trace the history of this, that they go, at least from that point on, they move upward into Turkey, which would be Galatia. And, uh, actually did a series of sermons on Galatia. And a couple of those sermons, I kind of mentioned the idea of how the word, I think the word means like milky white and the whole, the whole area is just surrounded with this supernatural stuff that includes giants. Wow. So, uh, the, the local people there got rid of them probably not long after Joshua did. They, they then seemed to migrate up into the Rome area of uh, Germany and France. And then you get Julius Caesar talking about how the reason they couldn't take out the guys up there is because they were so huge. They could, like, jump over horses, and they would they were called berserkers, and they would, they would kill all of our and
2: army. Barbarians, right. It's like gladiator, yep. right? So this the is like when, when
0: Julius is, like, 2nd century B.C., so then he eventually gets rid of them there, and then they seem to migrate to uh, Britain and Ireland.
1: Yeah, build the
0: hinges. Yeah. and Well, they, I suppose some of them are probably, probably already up there before that, but that kind of seems to be the wave. And then uh, then they're, they're destroyed. And then where else is there to go? There's no more land. So they cross the sea, and then they come to North America, and uh, then you get the mound builders in Ohio and all that. All that kind yeah. of stuff. You get uh, Sarah Winnemucca, the first Indian woman writer, talking about these uh, Lovelock cave giants that she had some of the red hair still, and and uh, they tried to eat her people, and they ended up burning them in a cave, coincidentally, and and destroying them. So it's like after after that long of a time, if you're that bad of people, uh, you're just gonna destroy
1: yourself. Right, it's just like that roommate that nobody wants, right? It's just, it just keeps going to every everyone's house. See if that roommate wants to eat you. You have that guy too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean the way the way that Judd described them is they were parasites. You know, they were just sucking the life out of everywhere they went. Yeah, they're just kind of pillaging the village and stealing kids, and eating people. Uh, so I mean, it's weird because you, on one hand, you describe them as being sort of ambivalent or neutral at at times. Like a friendly sasquatch, maybe, yeah, um, but well, then, think about uh, andre
0: like if let's assume Andre is a giant <laughs> let's see say he was he was a super nice guy, he was the giant uh, right he, I mean well, but but then, was, then you have he, all he these verses giant. in
1: the Bible that are like commanding them to to these armies to go out and take him out, so uh are, that are had, they... had nothing to do with their being nice that had to do with them being
0: a, a, an abomination, right. so th- you have to think like Leviticus there, and they're not they're not able to stand in holy spaces because they're not
1: they're unclean by definition because I mean, they're human a hybrid yeah and do you do you think this information is like gaining steam in modern like we're, we're starting to see this truth now more than we ever have in the last couple hundred years like christians are starting to talk about this stuff i do it's a really weird thing that in the last 10 years
0: more than ever uh it's just taken off like crazy I've often wondered why, and
1: maybe 2020 is kind of the beginning of the answer. to that. <laughs> Do you think that's because of some of these creatures are reconvening? There's a lot possibly. more sa- There's a last lot more Sasquatch sightings. There's a lot more cryptid sightings, UFO sightings, all kinds of weird stuff. So is 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 thing? Are things moving and shaking again? Are things moving and shaking? That's the million dollar question. I tend to think
0: that they, they very possibly could be. Yeah,
2: birth pains. Right. That's that's that seems to be one of the prevailing theories. is These are the birth pains. Of what would be considered the end of the end times
1: yeah so so when we talks about uh, jesus says you know that he'll return when it's like the days of noah i mean is what do you think about that is is that are we going to see these creatures again and like walking around that's a hard question nate because
0: like when you read that text jesus only he doesn't specify the nephilim part of it he just says they're eating and drinking marrying giving in marriage but the marrying and giving in marriage, like. If we want to look at what that was in Genesis six, it's not a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, is it possible? Like, sure, just about anything's possible. The the end of the world is going to be pretty crazy, I think. I don't, I don't, I just don't know how much you can go to a pastor like that and just be dogmatic
2: about it. Yeah, it's very general. You're like, does that mean? (laughs) I mean, I I tend to think almost like that. It it means that like the tower of of Babel, like we were talking about, maybe it becomes a thing where it's, it's human or mankind that's doing the doing and creating the abominations, like whether it be through hybridizing humans, hybridizing Uh with with technology, where it's like we're seeing Uh with Elon Musk and all and implanting, but who's to
0: say that that's just us. I mean, maybe we're getting the technology, the ability to do this because people are communing with these guys. And I don't think that's a maybe at all. I think that's actually quite real.
2: I would, I would agree there. That's, I mean, that's, that goes right back to talking about Brian Forster, Nate, where we're, he's talking about ancient technology and how yeah. the ancients had better building techniques than, than those that, that came after that forgot. Yeah. Like
0: where'd that come from? Right. Like how do you, how do
2: you basically laser cut giant stones and no one can move and figure out how to make them fit together? Well the weird it's thing
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I think I think in this episode one of the things that really got my mind going about is this ambivalence. Like some of these beings like like I think Ju uh Judge talked about a little bit just like the watchers being a little bit frightened by what they created. There's this like these things aren't I mean they're evil, but there's a little bit of gray space there. Like are they th- how evil are they? Do they yeah, have wh- some kind of conscience to What feel did good we at- do? Yeah, it's right.
0: Like, it's, like a, it's like an apocalyptic uh, Hollywood movie about creating artificial intelligence, you know, the Terminator sort of
1: thing. What, what did we do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, these are, and these beings are locked up, you said, the ones that mess with creation in the, the original. The original ones are. I'm not convinced that the other ones are. Where, where are these beings now, you think?
0: Okay, so this is kind of, you have to get to the geography of Hades in order to understand this. Uh, so first of all, uh, there's some Old Testament passages, Proverbs. I think Isaiah has a verse about it. They're not translated as Rephaim, but that's the word that's used. And it talks about how they're basically the <laughs> kind of the gatekeepers of hell. And uh, you don't want to be there. This is like a, this is a reason not to go to hell is because the Rephaim are there. So and Dante talks about that. He has I think he has the giants at the lowest level of hell. So that's a giants. Now that's kind of weird because... Yeah, you know, some of these demons are like uh, they're demons of the air, and they wander around, right? And that's kind of Enoch talks about that. He says that nine tenths of the of the of the giant demons were locked away, and then one tenth was left to roam the earth to torment mankind. So I mean, that that's those guys in terms of the sons of God. Uh, so the geography of hell seems to be that you have this—it's the place that everybody went to, and I'm talking about Hades here because we use we, in English we use the word hell differently so we talk about hell for hades we talk about hell for gehenna and we talk about hell for tartarus tartarus is a part of hades and gehenna has nothing to do with hades like it's a totally different thing that's a lake of fire so hades is where everybody went when they died good or bad believer in god or not it's called sheol in the old testament yeah and yeah. it it seems to be compartmentalized like And the Greeks talked about it with, you know, the river sticks. And then on one side, you go to judgment. And on one side, you go to Elysium. And on the other side, you go to uh, punishment or whatever. Seems to be similar when Jesus talking about uh, paradise on one side, Abraham's bosom. And the other side, giant chasm and the tormented in fire. That's Hades. So there's like, it was this place where everybody went. And then there was a paradise side. There's a punishment side. When Jesus dies, he descends... Uh, this is the old church father view that I, I very strongly believe happened because of uh, some of the Psalms and stuff like that. Jesus descends to hell, and then he ascends as the victor. He's gone down there. He's told them that he has conquered death and, and hell. He tells them that he's the son of God, and there's nothing they can do about it. He rises from the dead. He takes. He basically empties Abraham's bosom. Uh, That side of it. So all the Old Testament saints are then brought up to heaven to be with the Lord, where we'll be. We we won't go. We won't go to Sheol when we die because of what Christ has done. His death is sufficient to take us to heaven now. Whereas they they had to anticipate that before. Hmm. So then it talks about you know. So that's kind of all the I suppose the the giants and the people are kind of in that burning side, but Peter talks about how. Uh, basically, the Watchers were put into a lower place, <laughs> like lower than hell, into Tartarus. Which is, you go and read um, the Greek stories. This is the place that's made with adamantium bars of iron, the stuff that uh, they used in the X-Men for Wolverine. <laughs> like he's he's his. That's that's how tough it is. That they stole that that metal, and so they're locked down there, and they can't get out, and they're not allowed to get get out. I forget how long Enoch says for like 70 generations or something like that. And then you kind of get this idea like you do in Revelation that when Satan's loosed, they'll be loosed and
1: it'll be for a short time and, and then that'll be the end of everything. Some of my theologian friends who I see their Twitter rants, they're trying to to interpret scripture with this completely pacif- pacifist attitude. And I just yeah, read some yeah. of those rants and the trails they go down. And it's like, how can you even interpret any of this stuff? It, it, this to me feels like the Rosetta stone of scripture. Like it just makes it all make sense. It does. It's a little harder to believe. Oh, I'll give you that. Yep. But it, it just makes more sense. It just does. And I think that some people are just like, ah, it's too easy. It's sort of like Occam's razor. Do you, I mean, do you, do you just move past those people and say, Hey, the giants were here. I don't, I don't really have time to debate you. Let's keep going. <laughs> Oh, after time you kind of get used to that. It's
0: it's unfortunate. Um, it happens with all kinds of things in life, doesn't it? Some people just don't want to hear certain things. Well, they don't want to hear. Their, there's what, not much you can do about yeah, it.
2: It doesn't fit inside their their preferred narrative. They don't. They dismiss it. Yeah, it's unfortunate because I really do, like Nate was saying. It does. It puts gives so much richness and context to to everything in the Old Testament. It's fantastical too, which I think is is even just brightens or or widens that story to think about abraham battling tribes of giants and this stuff really happened um <laughs> th- okay thoughts on this then this is what we what we talked to a few of our giants people about is what happened to the bones what happened to the to the evidence are they, are they in those burial mounds or did these things get i mean people love
1: to put throw around the smithsonian
2: you know they do the theory that, that that somehow they're they're
1: hiding everything well they show up they show up in all the accounts in the old newspapers they're always on the scene so they
0: always are i mean it's a tough one like my thought about the, that conspiracy theory is that there probably is something to it because, you know, I think there's like a thousand different accounts of giant giants being discovered in North America that go from 1750 to 1930 or something like that. And, okay, let's say that 95% of them are uh, hoaxes. That's pretty generous, I think. Sure. <laughs> That's still 5% of them that aren't. Right, yeah. So uh, here's, a, here's a true story for you. I came across this... Uh, article in what was called the Minnesota Historical Society. They had a journal back in the 20s or 30, maybe 30s. They talk about uh, a mound that was by where my wife was born and raised, like just 15 minutes away. They talk about how they found a giant skull in it. So I'm talking to my in-laws one one day, and I said, do you, you know anybody that might know anything about this mound? And they go, oh, yeah. There's a dude who used to be the head of the Minnesota Historical Society who lives right down the street. Go talk to him. So I'm like, all right. So I went over to the guy's house and uh, I kind of presented him with this, just, you know, the weird things that we're talking about. What do you think about giants and all this kind of stuff? He's like, it's ridiculous. I said, you know, there's been a whole bunch of stories uh, uh, about uh, that mound. Have you ever been to that mound? He goes, oh yeah, I've excavated that mound personally. I said, when did you guys do that? He goes, well, it's was back in the 50s. I said, oh, that's, that's fascinating. He said, did you find anything there? He goes, not much. I said, did you know that they, that they found a, a giant skull there? He goes, no, they didn't. I said, oh, yeah. They excavated that back in the 1880s. He goes, no, sir. I said, if I showed you an article from the Minnesota Historical Society, would you believe it? He goes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. So I just handed him the article, and he was totally freaked out and i said so like there's no sign of the skull i said what do you think happened to the skull he goes i bet that they took it down to minneapolis or saint paul wherever their headquarters were and it's probably probably down there you know with all the other sort of things that they found oh let's go he goes i'll look he said i'll look into it yeah. he ended up dying just like a year later and i never got to i never heard back from him oh, man. that's the kind of stories that you end up hearing right right i mean yeah the point is there's really Dude. credible there's really credible magazines journals that kind of stuff that yeah. talk about this. it's not just all sensational barnum and bailey circus sort of stuff
2: right there's accounts i mean we had. there's a, real accounts we had a guy on the show who who was uh he curates and in a lot of ways he he collects the he's got 700 plus articles of giant discoveries in north america you know like you were saying from you know from the 1800s to the 1920s ish and you know one is supposedly happened right where i live in franklin tennessee they found supposedly found a 16 footer at the bottom of a, of a well 60 feet down yeah. uh it's just wild stuff and you know, that's all. It seems to be the same the same argument deep that, that down people have. in the ground, <laughs> in the caves. Well, the same people, same argument people have with with Bigfoot, right? It's like, where where are the bones? And man, um, at one point it seems like they had them.
0: That's exactly. I think that's the important thing. Is like they've said that there's bones. Right. Very credible people have said there's bones, and even to this day, those love those Lovelock bones. They were, uh, you could go and see them in as recently as like five or six or seven years ago. Wow. And they've they've disappeared as well. I have a, I have a friend who's kind of investigating that for me right now, but.
1: I mean, so many people are going to say, how? How is it possible that they sweep this under the rug? How is it possible they can keep this hidden from us? You know, they need jerk against conspiracy theories, but they here, here- somehow have been able to do this.
0: Here's one of the things I, I wrote in my conspiracy theory book. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is that I get that there's dangers in entertaining conspiracy theories, like people can become really obsessed with them and, and it can create like some pretty serious psychological problems for some people. I get it, I've seen conspiracy theory, I've seen the movie, I've seen Mel Gibson, I've seen what, what kind of a guy he's like in that movie. I get it, but you know what? Not entertaining conspiracy theories can be just as dangerous, because what if it's true? Like, let's say you were a Jew, or let's say let's say you're a German living in late 1930s in Germany, and you hear people saying, you know what? They're putting Jews in ovens. Nah, it's a conspiracy theory.
1: Yeah. Guess what? That's what they were really doing. Hmm. That's dangerous not to believe Whoa.
0: that that conspiracy
1: theory. I say this to my progressive Christian friends. I mean, to believe that Jesus wasn't taken by his disciple friends in the middle of the night and he descended was the biggest conspiracy theory of the day. The government, Absolutely. Na- the government narrative was, oh, his friends came and got him. And then he's like, no, 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 he floated in the sky. I saw it. No, you're crazy. You're a conspiracy theorist. That's <laughs> exactly like, right. And it, that's totally fine. So I guess my last thing about floating in the sky and we can— we could probably end with this. Uh, so these UFO sightings, Luke and I think to we like to call them fallen angels or mm. in the demonic realm. More and more videos coming around. Bigfoot, Nessie, aliens, they're all kind of in the same boat floating around in this conspiracy space. I mean, are, have these beings been coming to and from ever since the days of Noah? Is this just nothing new for them? They're just coming and going. They're doing their thing. Are, they, yeah, are the, they the same thing?
0: The UFO thing's a tough one. Tough one for me, anyway. So, not because I don't believe in it, but because I don't know what it is. So, there seems to be some kind of a material physical presence to it. Like, if we've captured ships and stuff like that, who's the guy that uh was on you know, Rogan's podcast a couple years ago talking? Uh, Lanier? Uh, I is think Bob that was the Bob Lazar. Yeah, yeah. Bob Lazar. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so you listen to him, and he's talking about it, and he's not the only one. Like, if there's a physical presence, I don't know what to do with that if it's only a demonic thing. So this is where I actually think the watchers, the sons of God, is helpful, because they actually take physical appearance in the, in the Old Testament. Like, three of them come to Abraham. He washes their feet. They have a meal with him. Wild. Wild.
2: You know, is that uh, do Jake, you think that's Jacob not a, wrestles with one of them? Do you think that's a lot like the we talk about in the Southwest with shapeshifters and stuff like that too? where Very
0: possibly, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Wait, you have... Jacob uh-huh. wrestles with one? Yeah. Well, he he wrestles with the with the Son of God, but he's a watcher at that point in time. He's the Angel of the Lord.
1: That's so, uh, man.
0: So anyway, the you know, the my thought is, I think it's more than just like a spiritual illusion or something like that. Things that we're seeing, I think there's a physicality to it. But my worldview allows for it. I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that it's what uh, normal UFO secular people think that it's like aliens from other planets. I'm not totally unwilling to rule that out, but I think that the host of heaven idea in the Old Testament <laughs> gives room for a lot of things that it could be that that
2: uh, shouldn't totally freak Christians out. That's where I, Doug. That's where I'm at too. So you're, yeah, you're in. I can't at this point, but I don't buy that it's little green men from, you know from another planet that just seem to fly around and I've heard it said that like God is the only you know omnipresent being um, so these other spiritual beings do have to travel from place to place, whether it be dimensionally or whatever whatever the quantum physics yeah, however are, but there's physically yep. they have to travel like
1: you were saying there's a danger with not believing in any conspiracy theories you know what I mean? Like if you don't believe in any, but there's actually this, this Holocaust going on sort yeah. of thing. Well, what if you don't believe in anything supernatural, any of these, and these, and these, these beings come back or they come or the government comes out and says, how are yeah, you going to we'll, deal
0: with that? Yeah. It's going
1: to, it's a lot of people are going to walk away from their faith because yep. they're like, yep. no one ever told me about this stuff. And yep. they're like, wait a minute. No, no, no. It's in the book of Enoch. It's in the old Testament. Wake up. And then everyone's like, what are you talking about? And then it's too late. Right. They're just... Yep. Then they're gonna so there's like they call them ufo religions and there's they're yep. converting a lot of people they are it's an unreached people group honestly the whole ufo community like
0: it's it's unreached people are not there's a lot of non-christians that are there very few christians that are really trying to make inroads it's one of the reasons that i loved heiser so much i found out like the first day i looked into him that he goes down to roswell every year and and gives like biblical lectures at ufo conferences
2: oh, i love it (laughs) yeah that's awesome but i mean i think that that in and of itself makes a lot of sense when you think about deception and and the strategy and the plans you know uh, of the fall of fallen angels and and you know and and the darkness is to deceive and that happens and that falls right into what i would assume to be the plan of the enemy so yeah, if there was to be some kind of first contact, you know, or close encounters of the third kind, that would seem to come right out of the playbook of trying to deceive people yeah, from
1: the truth. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, there's, it's just weird that they don't have any framework for that. And I think you're setting people up for failure. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, the church and, and politics and Christians are, people are leaving Christianity in droves. And I'm like, well, let's, I don't they, they blame it on this conservative Christians that are the reason for that, that people are... You know, young people don't want to go to church because grandpa votes for Donald Trump kind of thing. Yeah. And there's this big movement that like conservative Christianity is the reason that the church is dying. And I'm like, I think it's because there's no supernatural talk and people see it, smell it, hear it. They go on Joe Rogan, they hear about it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, and then they go to church and no one wants to talk about it. Well, they're like, forget this. I'm not going to go to church if you guys can't open your minds to this stuff, because I can go on Joe Rogan's and, and get plenty of it. So I, I'm going to believe what Joe Rogan says over what my pastor says, because he's just so close-minded. That's what, I, that's what I'm seeing is that young people are starting to smell some of this stuff. And they're like, how come pastors aren't talking about it? So, exactly. I, I'm hundred percent with you,
0: Nate. Like, I don't think that the church, especially conservatives, but liberals too, quite honestly, in fact, just as much, uh, they don't realize how infected with naturalism and rationalism and evolution, all this materialism, they, they don't see. I mean, those were massive movements in the 17 and 1800s, massive, totally seismic shifts in the way that people thought about reality. And they think that they are insulated from it, but they're not. That, when, when a worldview takes over a culture, you don't just escape it by moving into a Christian bubble. You breathe that air every day of your life. And if you're not consciously thinking about how to counter that in your own heart and your own head – you're not going to do it. You're going to succumb to it without even knowing it. And I think that that's where a lot of a lot of people who call themselves Christians, whether they're liberal or Christian or not, or conservative or not, are, are, they're at that place. They, they give lip service to Satan, but it's basically just lip service. Like, yeah. he doesn't really do anything. It's not really much of a power.
2: We've also deified academia. Totally. And, right? And so if we figured everything out, then there is no space for for wonder or whimsy or for the
1: supernatural there just isn't yep you have it you figured it all out yeah uh doug where can uh, people find you interact with you buy your books you'll be out in the woods you're hiking you're gonna see bigfoot soon (laughs) yeah yep any any mountain in colorado
0: you might find me on uh dougvandorn.com so my last name v-a-n-d-o-r-n i got links to all my books there my books are on amazon you can paperback or Kindle for almost all of them, I think. I have a church website, uh, RbcNC.com and uh, we have probably 15 years of archived sermons there and a lot of them are PDFed. And within the last 10 years I've done I mean my, my, my mind is focused on the supernatural when I'm going through just about anything. So like you're going through Galatians, you're going through Leviticus, you're going through you know whatever whatever I happen to have done in that period of time. I've been thinking about these things and you're gonna read things, the Psalms, you're gonna read things that you're not hearing
1: from a lot of places. So that's a good free resource for people to have. I love it. We need more people out there willing to talk about this. And I get it. I get people that they have problems with church and they've been burned by the church and they knee jerk against this stuff. And they come in to listen to a Bigfoot podcast and they get a lot of Bible talk and it makes people uncomfortable. But I, I think this episode was great. I think we talked about it in a way that everyone can just take a little bite and not have a bad taste in their mouth, you know? So I appreciate the way you talked about this. It's really good. A lot of good nuggets here. I'm excited about this one. Really appreciate the uh, knowledge on the giants and the ancient world. Yeah, thanks, Doug. And, I mean,
2: Doug, Doug's got a – you can't see him right now. He's got a ton of books behind him. He, <laughs> I can imagine his office smells like a rich mahogany. I think two rows of that is Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, great having you, uh, Doug. Thank you for your time. Uh, we keep fighting a good fight my man and perhaps we'll bring you back uh, when the next book drops <laughs> thanks,
1: thanks for guys. having me on guys later, later.